Blog Talk Radio. Here we are. It's Tuesday. And this is your host, Dr. Deb Carlin, here on The K Factor. Where K equals kindness, and the factors are all the things that lead to it. I love Blog Talk Radio because it gives such a great platform. And it gives me an opportunity to bring you the best of the best. And the factor of kindness that I'm bringing you again today is my co-host on Tuesdays for Tuesday Talks with Richard Flint. Good morning, Richard Flint. Hey, good morning, Deb. How are you on Tuesday? (laughs) I am fine. (laughs) (laughs) And we have been singing since before we went on the air, deciding our our theme this morning about fear. Maybe we don't need to sing to people. We might scare them away. (laughs) Uh, We're testing people's fear level. (laughs) Good morning. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you and I have got this capacity to be able to dive deep and add levity at the same time, get people thinking and feeling. And and that's really important today because as I wrote, as I wrote, those of you who are listening on Blog Talk Radio, this will be fine for you. Those of you who are watching on YouTube and the channels that are showing the video version of this, excuse me while I read from the other monitor, which is the studio in Blog Talk Radio. So here's what I said in Block Talk Radio is um, let's talk about fear, the pros and the cons of allowing it control. Richard Flint and Dr. Dub Carlin team up each Tuesday to bring you an hour full of thoughtful, an hour of thoughtful. And today is an especially essential conversation for us all. The question is about fear. Does it serve you? Or hurt you? Should you control it or let it float? Can you actually control it and control its course? Now, here's my pitch to you. This duo of Richard Flint and Doug Carlin offers you over half, no, actually, <laughs> offers you over a century of life between them. And that means broad perspective, decades of experiences, and hearts filled to the brim with the journey that each of their minds have taken. So, friends, grab your cuppa, (laughs) whatever you got, coffee right here, and join us as we talk about that. What about fear? First of all, it's 2020, and there's kind of a multitude of pandemics. And I've said from the beginning, I'm not so worried about the germs of the virus is I am the social psychology of it. And one of the social psychological outcomes of this fear, of this virus, is fear. And then it spills over into our civil unrest. So Richard Flint and I, Dr. Richard Flint and Dr. Dub Carlin, are two doctors who are very concerned about this, two humanitarians who love deeply, who are really concerned about this. So Richard, what about fear? What should people be thinking and what direction do we want to invite people to take a walk into? You know, Deb, I was listening to a commentary last night and it really, really struck me Mm. how uh, the leader was talking about um, the essence of what's happening in this country today. And not just in this country, but all over the world. Yeah. In that if you take a look at the 
the depth of the message and you take a look at the words that are being used and the tone of voice that goes with the words, one of the things you're seeing is that there is a force out there that's using the unknown and the uncertainty that we're facing today mm-hmm. to create a, uh, a pandemic of fear within people. I mean, you can't, you can't look around without seeing people living in fear. They're fearful of going out, uh, you know, and, and they're fearful of just almost everything that they, they touch. And if, you look at our enemy, the news media, and I really do believe that they are an enemy. I wrote an uh, sort of an op-ed on Facebook this morning. Mm, I'm near uh, to see it. Yeah, that about what is what is happening, uh, and how the fear is being used uh, to take away our our faith Boy. and replace it with our fear. Yes. And you and I both know that the fact that we're human, mm. and some people may doubt that you and I are human, but we are, <laughs> and that because we're human, fear is a natural part of the human psyche. Yes, it is. Fear can either lift you up or pull you down. Mm-hmm. And many times what's being used today is the, the fear that is increasing our doubt, our worry, and our uncertainty. Because everything about today is, you know, it, it seems in the, from the negative media, from the negative people, is about making us doubt everything. You know, uh, and that concerns me. Me too. Bless your heart for raising the point that fear is a natural part of the human psyche because people forget that or they don't know it or they, you know, think something's wrong with them. It is a natural part of the human psyche and and, and it's contagious. When people talk about things going viral, you know, they're trying to do cute videos and things like that. And and all that is, is great. We need for things to spread. But when we're talking about things spreading, it's great when it's positive, but when it's negative, that spreading, that contagion is, it's deadly. It, it's deadly. And, and, I, and I really, uh, I, I almost interrupted you to say, as soon as you said, it can either lift you or it can, it can tear you down. We need to talk about that with people today because that's the essential point of today. Well, and, and Deb, you know, one of the things I'd like to put in front of the listeners is the fact that uh, I believe that from the day you're born to the day you die, yeah. in that space between birth and death, that throughout your life, you're going to struggle with six fears. And when I was in the world of doing private counseling, when people would come to me, I could always take the crisis of their life or the event that they were avoiding. And I could tie it to one of these six fears. Okay. And when I, when I could discover what that fear was, because it varies from situation to situation, and that when I could discover that fear, then I could turn that into a positive. Mm-hmm. But if someone is not willing to understand the fact that fear can either lift you up or pull you down, then the only thing they see is fear is something to be afraid of. 
Mm-hmm. And that's not a play on words because I think there's a, I think that you can have fear without being frightened. When you're looking at fear through your belief, your trust, and your faith, rather than your doubt, your worry, and uncertainty, you can you cannot be frightened by fear. You can be concerned with it. Yes, I I agree with you a hundred percent. But what's out there today is a whole, uh, an entire platform that's designed to take fear and turn it into something that is frightening for people. And let me just put these out there, and then you know we can talk about them. Okay. But this is what I found from working with human behavior for basically 40 years. Okay. Um, there's the fear of the unknown, right. which is huge today. Yeah. This is a fear that has a, a negative controlling factor on the human life. Mm-hmm. There's the fear of abandonment. Yeah. I'm going to be left alone. Yeah. There's the, uh, the fear of rejection. That I'm not going to be liked. Uh, there's the fear of failure, which is which is huge. Uh, there's the fear of loss, which is also big and, and really big today, yeah. because I have so many people talking about the fact I'm going to lose everything I've worked for. Mm-hmm. And. You know, if you listen to some of these people talk, especially people that are in the hospitality world, or especially in the world of restaurants. Right. And then um, the last of the fears is I have found to be the number one fear with young people today is the fear of success. If you and I could sit one-on-one with a human and could just ask them to define where they are in their life. Mm-hmm. And what do you see in your life right now that tends to be controlling your emotions? Because fear is an emotion. Mm-hmm. And I have the belief, and it gets challenged all the time, but I have the belief that your mind does not know fear. Mm-hmm. Only your emotions. And this creates a battle because when I walk into a world of fear, I lose my ability to be rational. And if I lose my ability to be rational, then what I do is I tend to react, mm-hmm. which puts me in a vulnerable state. Completely. Yeah. You, um, <clears throat> you're hitting on a number of points here. And the thing that, that I spend the most of my time working on with people is teaching them how to understand the influence of their mind. The only thing in life that we can control, I'll ask people, I've always asked people, what, do you, what is it that you think that you're in control of? Well, I'm trying to control my spouse, I'm trying to control my kids, I'm trying to control this, I'm trying to control that. Right, you're trying and you're so frustrated. What is the one thing that you can control? I have no idea. Okay, well, it's the size of your hand stretched out and hold it up next to your head. That's the only thing that we can control. Now, when we have control over our mind, over our thoughts, when we understand and we believe that we have control over our thoughts, we can't control anything else, but we'll be in our right mind so that we can do everything we can to influence, just influence. Because when we're in our right mind, 
we are influenceable because other people then see, you know, I like that person's reasonability. I like what I see going on here. I would like to, I would like to participate in that. I would like to know how, how do they do that? How have they accomplished that? How have they, how have they moved into that position? Well, that's how leadership is born, right? And that's exactly how leadership is born. And if we're going to, if we're going to try to help people understand that you and I, on every episode that we're doing together, we've got to come from a place of complete sanity and showing people that this is a way that's healthy. Well, and you and I, you know, it's, it's sometimes challenging for people to understand, but so much of life is designed for control. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, you know, we work to control ourselves. Yeah. If I'm controlling myself, then I'm being led by my mind that has taken from the yesterday of my life the experiences that give me that confidence that say that I, I can and I will. But if I'm being led by my emotions, then I find myself, it's almost like I'm, I'm walking through a jungle of emotions mm-hmm. and they're, they're coming at me from all directions and I'm not real sure what to do with them. So what do I do? I set myself up to a pattern of resistance mm-hmm. where, in, you know, and correct me if you, if you think I'm wrong, but resistance is not about learning. Resistance is about avoiding. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And you can feel it. <clears throat> the minute that you're talking to somebody, the minute that they go into that resistance, it's a wall that's there that is not, you're not going to get a word through. You will not penetrate this wall. I cannot let you go there. Now, some of this, as you and I both know, there's defense mechanisms that people have that are very healthy. They're, they're in place to protect you. The problem is when people's defense mechanisms have generalized from one circumstance and have permeated their entire being. You know, there, there are people that we both know who their, their defense mechanisms are so incredibly powerful and so intact that trying to get through it all is heartbreaking. And these people end up in emotional isolation, wondering why. Why am I so alone? Why doesn't any relationship really work out? What happens to people? And they don't understand. But people will only put up with that for so long. And, it, and it's the thing, that, the thing that I'm afraid of right now, I'm, and I'm fearful of, and it's a concern. I'm not, I'm not in a panic of fear about But the thing that I'm afraid of for people right now is the resistance to looking at, at the kinds of commentaries that you were listening to last night. I hope that we have people here listening to the two of us because they know, like, and trust us, either because they've known us or because there's something invitational in the, the push, the marketing of our, of our show that has invited them in. And then when they see us and they hear us and they experience this, they realize we're approachable. We're not, we're not intimidating. We're not 
loud. We're not interruptive. We are here in genuine sincerity. We're here because of a, the result of our love of humankind and humanity and, and truly civilized civilization, civilized society. And, and that just means people coming out and, and living in law and order and being polite, basic core human values of civil. Well, and, and you know, Debbie, you bring up a good point because when it comes to fear, one of the things I have to learn about me is, is this my fear or is this a fear that I have been handed and programmed by somebody else? And this goes back to the thing, uh, to the thought uh, I think in our world today, because I think our, I think there's a big part of our world today that's very shallow. Yeah, I do too. And they don't think. And if you and I don't want to be, don't want to think, what happens? I reach out to people who will feed me. Yeah, right. And you know, listening to the media today is is dangerous because it's all about feeding us. Yeah, it really is. A diet of doubt. Yep. Which means we're going to worry. Right. Which means that every decision is going to be filled with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And it takes away my strength as a person. Yes. Yes. And and I, I, I this it really does concern me today that we're a society that for the majority uh, and. Again, I could be misdirected in this, but when I look and I hear and I listen, the majority of those that are that are that are accepting the wrong diet are the young people. This is why I see when you look at these movements, and you know, we we need to stop talking about uh, Black Lives Matters uh, because that's just become a catchphrase now that has been taken over by a mob uh, mentality. Yeah, I agree with you. It absolutely has. And by the way, it was interesting. A friend of mine and I were were out driving, just going for a nice, you know, like Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon drive, a little convertible, top down, beautiful sun and the wind and the breeze and everything. And we come to an, an intersection where people are holding up the science Black Lives Matter and BLM. And he looked at me and he said, I grew up being told that everybody's lives matter and that black lives matter because when we grew up in the 60s, there were movements afoot for civil rights. And we just all made the assumption, when I say we all, in, in our part of the country and in our, in our culture, and I grew up in Chicago, and my parents told me that all people are created equal and that you are kind and loving towards everyone and you live by the golden rule you don't you don't make fun of people you don't you don't you know what you know there was a there was a man in our in our neighborhood who would come through and he was uh, like the fuller brush salesman a door-to-door salesman in those days that was kind of a nice thing and, and it was the same person for decades and everybody got to know them. The housewives loved when he would come around. And he had a limp. And he had a huge uh, 
differential between his shoes. And one, he had a huge uh, platform on it, and the other was just normal. So obviously his legs were of two different lengths. And he still walked with a limp. And my mother one day saw some of the children in the neighborhood walking behind him, far behind him, like two houses behind him, or one house behind him. And they were imitating him. And my mother was seriously in tears, not crying hysterically, but shedding tears. And she said to me, Debbie, you see that? We don't do that to another human being. We don't ever discriminate against anybody who is different from us because we're all put in the position of being different from one another. We're, you know, it's not nice. And, and so in my childlike mind, I, I just accepted it. Um, I, I grew up in a white neighborhood, middle class. We had a black postman by the name of Art. I didn't, I didn't know he was black. I, I just knew that he was this really nice man. Not everybody looks alike. Not all white people look alike. Not all black people look alike. No race of people look alike. No people look alike. You might say that, oh, I can see you're all from the same family. Like the Carlin family looks a lot alike. But I just thought he was wonderful. He was reliable. He was our postman. So when this friend of mine said, I don't understand what this is about. Like, what is, what is all this about? Because there are so many of us who grew up and have lived knowing Black Lives Matter. But guess what? If you grew up during World War II and you were here when the Japanese people who were living here were really gone after because of World War II and Pearl Harbor, then you had to realize the Japanese lives mattered. And we can go through each group and say that. The fact of the matter is, life matters. All lives matter. And, and, I, and I agree with you 100%, Richard. We're being fed a diet that is a mirror image of all the junk food, fast food places that are spread across the country, spread across the world, ruining people's diets. The media has done the same thing. There's a disconnect. When I, when I listen to the media and I shop the channels, local and national, conservative and liberal, however they label themselves. But I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, what is it that they're looking at, that the stories are so different? It's either factual or it's not. What, what is the difference here? The difference is paid perspectives. And I'm really tired of the paid perspective. I want to know what's actually going on. And I want to know that I'm, I'm going to be comfortable flying and walking into any city and not feeling the barrage of everything that we're all feeling. The paid perspective is so dangerous. And when, when you watch the news very carefully, watch people's facial expressions. Put it on mute and watch their facial expressions and then you see the reporter, and then you see the video clip of what they're talking about, and you're watching mayhem, and this person has a smile on their face as they're telling you the story? Wait a second. Don't you dare smile pretty for the camera. I'd like to see the look of concern. And if it's really horrific, I'd like to see you trying to fight back the tears. This is human beings and human lives that we're talking about. No wonder people are fearful. Richard, if I didn't have my faith, my deep faith in God, I, I, I would truly, I don't know how I would take the next breath. 
Well, and this is interesting, Deb, because one of the things I wrote down here, in God's eyes, there is no color. Right. Okay? Yes. It's in man's eyes that we see color. Right. And, you know, it's just like one of the things they were talking about last week during the Democratic Convention when they were doing uh, the pledge, and they refused to say, in God we trust. Did they really? I did not uh, see that. You know, one nation under God. They wouldn't say under God. What did they say instead? They just didn't. They just went. They just went on. And I thought it was interesting last night at the beginning of the Republican convention, where Cardinal uh, Dolan from New York opened with a prayer uh, to God, asking for wisdom, asking for unity, and asking that we have the ability. To look beyond the exterior. Yes. And to see a human from the inside out. He is a phenomenal leader in the Catholic Church and faith. He is he he is from St. Louis. And although I'm from Chicago, I've lived in St. Louis for the last forty years, forty plus. That man has got a grace and a wisdom about him that is precious and we will do ourselves well to listen. And I'm going to put you in that same camp because we are sitting here and we are talking about this and you're saying what is so true and it, and it sparks the thought in me, kind of an epiphany of sorts. In God's eyes, there is no color differentiation. In our eyes, there is. And our vision ability is a gift from God. So it's really, it's an invitation for us to love the, di- the diversity, people say. I'm saying the differences. Diversity seems to mean something different than differences. If I live in a world where I see color, yeah. and that color creates emotions for me, mm-hmm. uh, I won't listen to you. Exactly. Because I'm driven by what I see, right. not what I'm hearing. Yes, exactly. So I want to put you on the spot. Okay. Okay. Define racism for me. Racism is when you are looking at race first and making a judgment based upon that. So what race a person is, is what your thought leads with. Oh, Chinese person. Oh, black person. Oh, and so on down the line. And that's what you lead with. And that's what you make your judgment about, is you're leading with racism. So in our world today where we, we tend to define racism as equality. <laughs> Just the you opposite. Know, yeah, I mean, it, it is. Because uh, equality begins with what I see myself as. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. and when when I lose the sight of my value, then I start looking at other people different. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I hear so much of as they talk about racism is comparison. Yeah. And how they compare what you and I have against what they don't have. But I know you well enough, and you know me well enough, to know that neither one of us have come to the place in our life where someone given it to us. No. 
when I got the email not long ago from the gentleman who told me, he said, I am a 75-year-old black man, and I listen to you, and you are privileged that you've had everything given to you. Wow. And I, I, I did not want to get in an argument with him. Right. And I sent him back an email and told him, someday, if you really like to know about who I am, ask me. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to fight with you because I am not privileged. I am accountable. Right. Big difference. Big difference. Here's the other thing, though. <clears throat> Let's talk about privilege for a minute. A prime example of privilege would have been Princess Diana. People thought, oh, look at that sort of shy, almost a little few pounds overweight kindergarten teacher when she first met Prince Charles. And I remember that little shy gal teaching little children with her bangs sort of down around her face and looking down and very, very withdrawn, really. And when she went through the courtship with him and started to transform and started to be slender and started a different hairstyle and a, and a different style of clothing and her gait changed. And then she has the fairy tale wedding that I, from fairy tales we've been raised on there. And I don't care who you are. Everybody knows what the fairy tales are. And there she is, the princess and the prince. Well, people thought that that was an enormous amount of privilege, royalty, getting to live in that beautiful place, getting all this attention. Yeah, well, it's also a tremendous amount of pressure and command, and your private moments are not yours, and you will adhere to what the paradigm is, what the structure is that you're living within. So... Did she have a warm bed at night, and was she safe behind the gates? Yeah, you mean the gates where you were being protected? That means somebody could come in and you can't go out? It was another kind of a lockdown in a prison. What ended up happening to her was tragic because what she really wanted was she wanted a life with a husband, with a family, with happiness, with peace. That's not what she got. She was miserable. And, and, and she wasn't miserable because she was arrogant or because she was vain. It's because with that life that people think is so glorious and dazzling and sparkly came a pressure that was not sustainable for that young woman. And it, and it ended up costing her her life. In a whole variety of ways. Now, there can be all kinds of theories about what happened to her and the why and everything. But what we know is that she had a very nervous eating disorder. She was a nervous wreck. So you have to be careful what you wish for. One other point. I've had people accuse me of being privileged. Okay. Well, I've had heartache in my life. I've had more people who are close to me die and my being right beside them than what I care to count. I've had my share of failures and disappointments and illnesses 
and things that I've had to work my way through and privilege is kind of funny. I remember the night before my last book was published and and it was the first book I had with an agent and a real publishing house out of New York. And I was supposed to have a signing party and I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. My publisher and my agent were on the phone with me saying, Deb, you know, this is part of what you need to do. I said, I am going to, but I can't do it the day of the release. I need to do it a day later. It's all planned for a day later. Why? This is a big celebration. And I said, because once I'm out there the way that you've promoted this, there's no turning back. My my book will be out on the market, all over Amazon, in bookstores. You know, you've got all these interviews set up for me around the country, and I'm terrified. You know, I, I feel like I have to just be ready for people criticizing me and and people wanting to get next to me. And, you know, I just, I'm afraid of succeeding and I'm afraid of failing. I was literally terrified. And I, and I, and I went to bed, I incubated that day. I stayed by myself, you know, the day before I was a nervous wreck. And, and I, I was so scared about what the reception was going to be. So when people see you and you're on a platform, you know, they think, oh, you're so lucky. You've had all this handed to you. No. The fear of success is just as serious as the fear of failure. And I don't know anybody who's gotten to genuine success without a cost. Well, one of the, the couple of things here, because I, I think this is really, really important. Yeah. I think privileged is, and I'm privileged. And to me, that means what I've done is that I've lived my life to earn the respect of people. Mm-hmm. That is and, a privilege. Yeah. And if that has been created by my willingness to stare fear in the face and not allow fear to cause me to disrespect myself but to respect myself mm-hmm. because so much of fear. And again, this is just with me that there is no fear in today. All of fear is in yesterday that we bring to today. Mm. And that fear from the state of being frightened mm-hmm. is a continuation of how I've defined my stories of yesterday. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. You know what? You are hitting on such a, an important point here. Here's one of the things that I think along those same lines, and we've, and we've actually talked about this. Um, so there's an escalation here. It's kind of like a tank that's filling or a staircase that you're walking up. So the, the, the bottom floor is, a thought and then the second level of it is a concern because your thoughts are leading you up that direction and then you go a little bit higher into escalation and it's a worry and then all of a sudden you're getting into angst and then you've got fear and then you've got anxiety and then you've got 
depression, and then you have despair and lack of hope. And as you go through each one of those stages, you what you're saying is absolutely true. When you interview people about the process of how they got to where they're at in any part of that, they're telling you about their history. They're telling you about what their experiences have been and why they're justified in where it is that they're walking into. And to unravel all of that, you have to ask them to please walk back down those stairs or drain the water from the tank. But they are bringing forward exactly what you said, the past, and and carrying it like a heavy bag of trash across their shoulders and not releasing it. When people hang on to all of that, they're rewriting their story and keeping their story intact for consistency. And I see this, and I know you do too. This is quintessential anxiety. People look at something and their mind races and they go to the middle and to the end of the story. They're, they don't even have their outfit on yet to put their, their hand on the doorknob to walk outside the door across the threshold out into the world. But they've already launched on the airplane and, and have taken the whole journey. They've written the story so fast because they have not learned to control their fears and control their mind in order to control their fears. So our, our initial question for our audience was about the pros and the cons of controlling fear. Let me take this just a little deeper for a second, okay? Please, absolutely. And this is one of the things that I watch, is that when you study this Black Lives movement, yes. it comes from a slave mentality. Yes. Because everything that they talk about goes back to the formation of our country, the foundation of our country. And, you know, this, this whole thing about, uh, you know, black, black people being slaves. Mm-hmm. Well, the majority of them that came here were slaves before they got here. Isn't, and that, you know what, Richard, I'm so glad that you're saying that. And I want our audience to hear this very clearly. We are saying this out of deep, deep compassion and concern. This is, this is history to understand. And what we want for everybody is the breakthrough away from this because the attitudes that are being promoted as freedom are about continued enslavement. Well, I either live a life where I repeat yesterday or I work to rise above it. And if I'm not working to rise above it, then what do I do? I go back into yesterday to justify my behavior today. And what I see happening today is that we're not talking about resolving this issue. And anything in life can be resolved if we work together to find a pathway forward. I don't hear anybody talking about a pathway forward. What I hear is them talking about the wrong and the injustice of who they were yesterday. Well, most of the people who are out there marching, they've never been a slave. They live in a country where they have rights. They live in a country where they can become. And I, list, and I, I was listening to Dr. Ben Carlson this morning mm-hmm. and listen to him talk about sitting uh, in New York in the, uh, New York and in, the, in the projects and 
you know, knowing that he had nothing. But he looked through this building and he saw a rainbow. And that rainbow to him meant he could become something. And he took that. And he took where he had been and rose above it because he wanted more. Yeah. And he didn't spend his life justifying what he didn't have. And I, I'm really to the point where I've had enough of people using yesterday to justify the destructive behavior of today. Black Lives Matters, when it started, was a cause, and it was a just cause. Right. But it's been robbed yeah, by has. the mob mentality. Yeah. Who no longer is it about George the former they got, you know, the gentleman that was killed in Minneapolis. Right. It's not about these things. It's about using something to justify my right to be destructive. Yeah. And until the leaders of these cities stand up and confront the behavior of these people, it's not going to go away. It's just going to get worse. Yes. And here's, here's one of the things that in the midst of your saying this, it runs through my mind. A good friend of mine who is a, a, a black male said to me, when Black Lives Matter was formulating, and there was conversation about what to call it. And they came up with the term Black Lives Matter. His commentary was, comma, as well. Black Lives Matter as well. Because when you say Black Lives Matter, it's exclusionary for everything else. This is the only thing that matters. So right now, you and I are, are going to be deemed by people who endorse Black Lives Matter as being disrespectful to that because we should say um, we should never say all lives matter. Well, I disagree because when I actually stop and look and this came out uh, in 2016 when this last book I did Build the Strength Within came out and a man I was being interviewed about something, and, and he got on the phone and made a comment about my being privileged. And I said, I don't, I don't understand where that comes from. I have, I have no idea why, why would you say that? And he was talking to me about the ways in which I couldn't possibly understand what it was like to be a black person, and I probably hadn't had any experience with anybody other than white people. And I said, how do you know I'm white? He said, well, I can tell by your voice. I said, oh, so you're profiling me. <laughs> Did you see my picture on Facebook or on Google? No. Well, how do you know I'm white? Well, I can tell. How can you tell? Because black people sound different? Really? How do they sound? How do they sound different? How do white people sound different than black people? And, and you know, the funny thing was, this was a white guy telling me this. <laughs> and I said, this is kind of amusing. It's a little insulting, but it's kind of amusing. So you're holding yourself up and beyond me because you have a perception of me, okay? <clears throat> and I and I sat there and I thought to myself and I thought, am I racist? Am, 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 I, am I privileged? Am I somehow holding myself out as better? And do I look at people according to their color? So I started, I started doing an exercise shortly thereafter. Well, I wrote down 
concentric circles, me in the middle, and who my friends and family were in concentric circles around me from my nearest and dearest to people who were my business associates on the outer rings, right? And I realized I had people in my inner circle that were different ages because ageism is a thing, for sure ageism is a thing. All you have to do is look at what we're doing to the elderly in this country and go ahead and argue that point. But I had people of different races, different faiths, both genders, and I thought to myself, isn't that interesting? I actually hadn't noticed until I started to sketch it out. And I, and I, and I then became resentful for the invitation to sketch it out. But you know what? Maybe if everybody does that, maybe if everybody starts to look at who is in their world before they make and call names to other people, look at yourself first and see how ist you are on any ist, <clears throat> braces, ages, looks ist, because all of it exists. Well, I promise you something, Deb. There's going to be people out there who are listening to this who are going to say that you and I are racist. Yeah. Because of what we're talking about. Because we're I talking want, about it. Yeah. I want them to hear what I'm about to say. Okay. I don't look at skin color. I look at behavior. Yeah. Because my infamous three words, behavior never lies. No. And, you know, you can tell me anything you want to say to me, and I'll listen. But what speaks to me louder than your words is your behavior. Yep. And I believe that all behavior has an agenda. There is no behavior that is, that is acted out without an agenda. So when I look at this movement that I think began uh, in its own way as a purist agenda. That I agree. got hijacked. Yep, yep, it got hijacked. That's right. And then I look at the behavior of the people who the media is giving the voice. Mm-hmm. And the more that the media gives them a voice, the more we tell them, We'll give you your 15 seconds of fame. Go do what you want to do. And then we have the politicians who, they're not leaders, they're cowards. Yeah. Mayors of these cities, Ah. like Chicago, like Portland, like Seattle, like New York. They're not leaders, they're cowards. Because if they were leaders, they would see that this small group is affecting the masses that elected them to lead. And they're afraid to stand up and face these people. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Whatever they do is okay until it affects their property, until it affects yeah. them. Yeah. Then it's wrong. Right, exactly. But we need to stop listening to words and say, okay, if you really are saying what you're saying and you believe it, prove it to me with your behavior. Let's talk. Let's find a common ground. Let's look for solutions. But when I, when I back up and I listen, I don't hear that. But what I do see are destructive behaviors without any consequences to them that are being made all right because we got a group of leaders who are cowards. Yeah, I know. I would love to have a one-on-one conversation or you and I together, a conversation 
with the mayor of Chicago, the mayor of Portland, the mayor of Seattle, the mayor of Austin, the mayor of, and we could have the list go on and on. I'm so proud of those leaders in, in states and cities where they have risen to the occasion and said, you know, this isn't doing anybody any good, but I have yet to hear anybody say, and, and I'm going to go out on a limb here. Um, and, and, and I'm, I don't care if people think I'm a bleeding heart because our heart does have blood. And, and I do have a concern for the people who are doing the rioting and the looting. It's not healthy. It's not healthy for your body. It's not healthy for your mind. And you're going to pay a price in your health for the activities that you're engaging in. Now, it might sound motherly. I'm a woman. I have nurturing qualities. That's who I am. That's how I am. I disapprove of any destruction. Excuse me. It is against the law to destroy another's property or to destroy or deface public property. It is against the law to commit assault or battery. You're not allowed to touch people, to lay your hands on them, to use any sort of anything device to make contact with them in the interest of harm. Unless you're law enforcement and you need to contain somebody and protect the law, enforce the law. I, I think that we need to take everybody who is so enraged. I know that people are going to laugh at this, but it's a really true statement. And we need to put them through peace, peace training, peace thinking, calming, getting their heart rate normalized and their blood pressure normalized so that they can think for themselves. Because when you're enraged, you're enslaved by it. And I don't care what color you are. When people get on a, on a bender and they can't get off of it, you know, they need a way to have their mind released from the trap of the negativity. So the pros and the cons of fear are that if you use it to lift you up out of this place, hallelujah, and you will evolve into yet a better reality. But if you allow it to tear you down, I, I'm, you know, my, my, my career work, it's the center of everything that I'm doing and talking about. It's about mind-body medicine and mind-body health and the way that our mind is either going to propel us into wellness or it's going to make our body so compromised and sick. And it, it, it just, there's no benefit to it. We only, as far as I know, I don't care if you've done past life regression or you believe that you're going to come back again and again. This is the only life that I know I get. This is the only life when I'm working with people that I know that they get. I'm never working with people saying, ah, so you messed this one up, do better next time. No. This is our opportunity, friends, for love, for peace, for learning how to think, learning how to think clearly and constructively. Where have our schools gone in terms of teaching critical thinking skills? Where is our government and our politics gone in terms of protecting every single neighborhood, every single school, every single house of worship? Not a single one should be called a ghetto, a bad neighborhood, a bad school, shut it down. Not enough attendance at that house of worship, shut it down. No. 
let's clean them up. Let's not take people out of them. Let's not gentrify them and have people walk in and pretty them up because they've got more cash in their pocket. No. Let's have people stay in their homes. And when their neighborhoods get overrun by gangs, let's ask why. You want to know why? Because parents are missing somehow. Let's go back to the root causes of family values. Fear emerges in children when they're not allowed to feel safe. Well, two, two things here. Please. And I, I agree with the concept of caring. But I think an aspect of caring that we shy away from is confronting. I agree. If I really care and I see behavior that is contradicted from what you say with your behavior, then it's my responsibility, especially if I'm a parent mm-hmm. or if I'm a leader or uh, someone that's, that's involved. If I really care, then my role is to confront, not through criticism, but through concern. Because if I don't confront, my lack of words and action validates. And what I'm seeing today in what is supposed to be called leadership is I don't see concern, Deb. I just see validating behavior that's destructive. So yeah. how, can, how can these people say they care and they want racial equality when what they're doing is their behavior is destroying everything that their words are saying? How can I respect you when every day what you're doing is you're working to destroy this country? You're working to take away my, my freedom. And I'm going to tell you something. Communism doesn't work. It takes away freedom. And it's just like we're just not seeing the picture. And the people who should be the voice, the leadership, you know, is silent. And I'm going to get, I'm going to get me in trouble, not you. But I listened last week to the Democratic Convention, and I didn't hear anything about the violence in this country. Yeah, I've heard people say that. I didn't hear anything. Yeah. And you tell me you're going to make this a better place, but you're not willing to openly discuss what's happening to this country. Right. And, and acknowledge that it's not even mention it. Like it just doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you're going to get in trouble except with people who want us to be in trouble. And, and it's okay. We've been in trouble our whole life because of our thinking. <laughs> We're in it together, Richard. <laughs> Um, the, you know, the, the other part of this is when, when we don't pay attention to what we've come through, we're doomed to repeat those mistakes again. And the removal of everything that is deemed to be racist, removal of monuments and removal of uh, removal of monuments. First of all, I don't, I don't like to see the expletives and the graffiti all over everything. These are works of art. And so how about if instead of making that your artistry, it's not, it's angry expression. How about if we, if we have a movement to put up statues of people who are reputable 
how about if we how about if we add the to the park another statue in contrast so if you are against this but you are for this and these are good upstanding people who are beacons of light because of the way that they've lived their life and really championed the causes that you believe in great but can I say this? And it's 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 just so important to me. Yeah. If if you're bent on erasing yesterday, you have no right to talk about it. Oh. If wow. you're going to erase history, you wow. have no right to use that as your justification for your behavior today. Wow. You do not have that right. Wow. Wow. That's an epiphany. Seriously. That. Richard, we've got like two minutes left. <laughs> what okay, a quick can, can I do this real quickly? Yes. Uh, I was playing with this this morning. After I, I, I knew what we were going to talk about. Uh, just for your listeners, and if you'd like for me to send this to you, I'll send it to you, Richard at richardflint.com. Uh, but where, where does fear come from? Yeah. Facing yesterday as what it is, emotional collisions because you, you, you don't understand wrong environments that you grow up in, and then resistance to what you know is right. And then how do you control yesterday? You face yesterday looking for improvement. You examine the origin of where your fear is coming from, address what that issue was, don't avoid it, and then refuse to run away Mm -hmm. from what yesterday was in your life. Mm And I, I've written a, a, a book, one of the 19 books that I've written is a book that really deals with a lot of what we're talking about today. It's entitled, I Need a Life. Oh. And it, it's on my website, richardflint.com. But it talks about these fears and it talks about what we're talking about today. And Deb, what we've talked about today is so critically important. And I'm going to come back to say this. If you want to erase yesterday, you have no justification. And that, my friends, we're going to leave you on a cliffhanger here. This is Richard Flint in Dr. Deb Carlin, and I hope we've sparked you and that you're going to come back to us for more and more and more. And we are going to do our very best to market this so that it reaches as many of you as we can possibly get to. And if you would like to join us at any point and be involved in our conversation, be involved in In the meantime, this is Dr. Deb Carlin, your host, with her good friend and co-host, Richard Flint. Until next time.